Welcome to the second edition of the Bear Fiction Magazine podcast. I'm Robert Harper, editor of the magazine. This week we have a poetry reading from Bethany W. Pope. Bethany has published two collections of poetry, A Radiance with Cultured Lama Press, published in 2012, and Crown of Thorns with Aneros Books, published in 2013. You can read Adam Horowitz's review of Crown of Thorns along with two poems by Bethany in issue two of our Bear Fiction magazine, which is available to purchase from our website, www.bearfictionmagazine.co.uk. Bethany is an American poet living in the UK, and she's rightly pleased this year to have her first American chapbook published by Writing Nights Press from Cleveland, Ohio, and it's called The Gospel of Flies. This recording of Bethany was, like last week's podcast, made on April 30th, 2014 at the Goody Hugh Cafe Bar in Cardiff during the launch of issue two of the magazine. And you'll hear two poems from The Gospel of Flies, plus one from A Radiance and a fantastic double acrostic from the magazine called The Quality of Mercy. There are a few explicit words in the second piece you'll hear, so if that sort of thing bothers you, you may wish to skip through to the third and fourth pieces, which I assure you, you really don't want to miss. This is Bethany W. Pope. Yeah, I think that's good. I think we're of a height. Um, <laughs> I'm going to start with my poem, uh, with one of the poems that's in uh, issue two. Um, lately, I've been playing around with acrostics, and this is a double acrostic sonnet. So the acrostic goes down the right, uh, the left margin, and then continues on down the right margin again. Um, <laughs> About five years ago, I was when I was earning my PhD in Aberystwyth, um, I'd spent summers at home in Texas. Texas is not where I'm from, it was where my parents were living. And I was working as a um, car hop at a drive-in restaurant. You know those episodes of the Flintstones where they, they pull up and some brings food to their car? I was the girl in the roller skates doing that. Um, and in my time, I had a guy drop a cup of spit on me from um, Tobacco Shaw. I was shot at twice, and I saw a number of diseases that just don't happen in the UK because you guys have health care. Um, <laughs> this is this is about encountering one of those uh, one in, one of those diseases. Um, the double acrostic is the God that answers with fire is God. And the poem's called The Quality of Mercy. <laughs> and um, if I pick up my foot and stand like a stork for a while, it's because I was hit by a car a couple of days ago. So, ow. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to explain in case I, I did the stork thing. The Quality of Mercy. <laughs> the heat beat from the pavement. Sweat smeared my face. How could I be my best? I carried the four enormous orders, five burgers, three large french fries, gallons of limeade dripping in their paper jugs. The crab, or so they called it, came in cakes. I flew on my dank skates, pulling up by the cracked window of the 30-year-old Cadillac. He opened the pane. I handed in the change I owed, then shrieked my fear at the man who took it from me. His mummified face, terribly like leather from a bog, held still as I apologized. I pushed my dollars into his necrotic hands and pocketed my tip like a slug. 
Seven minutes later, I was still scrubbing my fingers. No wonder I feared disease. I was too worn down to be kind. Um, <laughs> um, this one is from the Gospel of Flies. Um, and I'm going to read one from it and then one from Irradiance and then another short one from the Gospel of Flies. Um, <laughs> we were just talking um, f and, uh, over there in the little poet's corner um, about tanning leather. And I was talking about why you don't dry leather because it makes it very hard. You, they used to use it for armor um, in the uh, before the Iron Age. So they'd, they'd make a wooden shield and then cover it with cowhide and then dry it, and it would be nearly impenetrable. Um, I found that out when I was translating Beowulf. Um, just something to do. Um, this is this is uh, for my husband. Dried leather. None of us ever show our faces. The short, fattish husband sprawled on the red couch, hair greasy, long, and smelling of civet. His smooth, broad shoulders, strong nose, split blue boxers, airing blonde hairs, furred testicles. Sometimes there is slippage. A man on the TV falls on the bloody mat, shouts at the referee while the victor struts and pulls on the branded shirt he sold the fight for. My husband forgets that I am watching. He rears up, thumps a pectoral, himself in that instant a leather-clad ring-giver, master of hordes, who tore the blood-grimed claw from Grendel and died long ago in the bowels of the mountain. I see you as you are then, Matthew. The smoke you leave like scent behind you, the rage, the battle cry of a man who knows that someday soon his death is coming, who fucks me, spread-legged, naked in the ashes of a fire, who drinks from my cunt the golden remnants of honey, the faint stream of blood. When I turn my thick-furred neck to grip your nape with sharp dog teeth, nip the sour skin of your scrotum, I'm torn, my nails leaving red trails. What do you see? Fenrir, the dark wolf, a death's head above breasts, riding ribs that jut hard enough for wounding. This is the face that will come for you when your world has stopped turning. The hands that will drag you from the gape in the mountain. The throat that will howl when your body's past fucking cold as the earth. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, completely different note. Um, this is from my first book. Um, it involves very little fucking, because um, it's about my grandparents, and that's just terribly uncomfortable for everyone concerned. Um, the, this book is, um, is more like a novel in verse, and it tells the story of my, my grandparents. Um, my nana was the daughter of the largest mine owner in Kentucky, and she ran off with a half-Native American guy, and daddy was not happy. Um, she was disowned and ended up and went from living in a mansion where she had two servants whose job it was to get her dressed in the morning, yes, I'm serious, to um, living in a tar paper shack up in the mountains. Um, I'm going to read a poem from 
later on in the book. It's when um, my they've moved down to Florida and I'm in it, so it, it's pretty it's pretty far far down the line. It's called the altar. <laughs> this is a story my grandfather tells me. He worked many years in vocational rehabilitation, which was, I imagine, something like fishing. Fishing for men or their fragments. Casting out a strong line, a net into the depths of mental illness. Drawing something up to breach the crest and bathe in light or flounder in air. Drowning. This story is not about the drowned. He worked among broken minds, broken bodies, learning his own medicinal grace. One morning, he found a man in his net, ready to clean or release, ready for judgment. He said to me, the man was an idiot, dribbling, completely degenerate. I left him fiddling his fat fingers on my desk. I asked my supervisor why bring him to me. He understands nothing. What can I do for him? He's too dumb to be trained. I couldn't even teach him to lay down upholstery. When he gets to this part, my grandfather leans across the tabletop grinning at me, black gummed over his black twine-bound Bible, which smells of his sweat, in-ground from decades of long morning readings. He tells me more in Kentucky and Basso. Well, my boss finally talked me back into the office. I gave in and went. You know what I found? I know well by now. He knows I know. I tell him no, smiling. He laughs at me, Nana laughs with him, scrambling the grits on the never-cleaned pan. You never soap iron. It takes on the flavors of the years of your cooking, passes it on through butter and meat, a meal in endless reiteration. I never get tired of this morning telling. The idiot was drooling. It spilled down all over his chin. He sucked it back up, liquid her, 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 like that, snorting pig-like. A sow that's turned up something real good. My grandfather takes a sip of paint-stripping coffee, but damn it, Bethany, he'd taken apart my radio and laid it out all across my desk. He was careful, but was I mad? Was I ever? It took a minute, but I remembered my business enough to hold it all in. I sat down in my chair and started talking to him. The fellow ignored me. I might not have been there, but I was. And I am telling you now this thing that I witnessed. The idiot put my radio back together in under five minutes. He fixed, it up, he fixed it up better than it ever was, or ever had been. Eventually, I got the story. His mother didn't want him, and she dropped him off on the doorstep of the retardation center. The doctors brought him in, and since he was there and so young, no one ever bothered testing. People depend a lot on instinct in this sort of thing, even doctors, more than they admit. He grew up in that wasteland, and since he was st smart, he took to acting like the people around him. He learned their behaviors, but he couldn't stop thinking. He was good at it, thinking. The white coats only figured him out when a night nurse caught him fixing the television, said it played better once he'd been at it than it ever had. So they brought him to me. We break for grace, a ritual that is the best kind of familiar. Nana serves herself last, takes less than any of us, is the last to sit down, the first to rise up, a real southern lady. We taste a bit. Salt pork, baked apples. I fiddle the grits round the plate, untasted. 
He never did use words. I got him a job as an electrician. Could never get him to talk. But you better believe he sung with his hands. A sigh over a plate this time. The Bible closed on the sideboard. Never forget, girl, in your life, the things that you can learn from an idiot. Don't call another man defective till you've tried to reach him from every side. This is how we start our morning, in laughter, in light. This is the story my grandfather tells me. Now I'm telling you. Some things get better with the telling, like the flavor in an unsoaped pan. Okay, I'm gonna gonna read one more from the Gospel of Flies. <laughs> um, tell you what, I'll give you all a chance, a choice. Um, there's one that um, pictures Jesus Christ eating people. Um, <laughs> a double acrostic about the time that I got kicked out of college and lived in a tree. Um, and one about me running naked through Swindon and hallucinating about biting people. Hungry Jesus, hungry Jesus. Hungry Jesus, which, who says that one? All right, Hungry Jesus. <laughs> Swindon, <laughs> Hungry Jesus. I could read them both. I don't know if I have time. Uh, not. No? All right, I'll just read, um, I'll just read Christ then. <laughs> Christ. He has his mother's eyes. The golden, predatory glint, his blood-hungry father evident at the mouth behind soft whiskers. A lion from one angle, bearing all that ill-founded symbolism from the other perspective, the earthly. He has a hyena's slumped gait, slouching from Bethlehem. Humbled by human misinterpretation, he noses for treasures amidst bone dust, his fingers clawing deeply into the land of the skull. In his eyes, there is mercy, the intersexed grace of hunters, pity given with a snap of the neck, the shriek of a soft thing, a lamb or a rabbit, the glazed eye, a passage to new life in earth, new soil, fresh turned, ready for planting. It is the highest honor to be devoured by Christ, the flesh served at his table lasting longer than bones sucked free of marrow, lasting longer than the worlds of man or their empty words. This is the God with your heart in his hands, still vivid, still beating, exhaling your death. The flowers grow red at the foot of the cross, fed by the fluid that spills from his feet. It is not all his blood. The stars pulse, the rocks tremble at the passage of the threshold God. By hard birth held suspended between father and mother, between death and life. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this second edition of the Bear Fiction Magazine podcast, recorded on July the 10th, 2014. Next week, I'll be bringing you some more poetry, this time from Matthew Broomfield, a former Four Young Poet of the Year. Until then, 
Please do let people know about our new podcast. Use your social media to point friends to it on iTunes and on our SoundCloud account. We'd love to hear what you think of the podcast too, so do talk to us on Twitter and Facebook. Just search for Bear Fiction. And as ever, you can order our magazine in print and digital formats from our website, www.bearfictionmagazine.co.uk. The music for this podcast was Sidewalk Shade by Kevin McLeod and is provided under a Creative Commons licence. I'm Robert Harper. I hope you'll join me again next time.